I'd like you to turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Timothy. And I just mainly want to look at one verse. The book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1, and I want to read from verse number 12 down through verse number 16, but concentrating on just one verse very briefly. In verse 12, the Bible says this, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus my Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. You know, there's not a person here that has a history of sin that is more wicked or worse or further gone than one of the greatest Christians to ever live, who was himself also a sinner, Paul, Paul the Apostle. Verse 14 says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith, and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today and what the kids were able to do and the work that went into that. Thank you, especially that you came into the world. As we look at this passage of Scripture, this verse, I pray that your spirit and your grace would be present with us to to, uh, speak to each and every person here. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to concentrate on, especially, is verse number 15. We talk about the the birth of Christ. What we have to understand, as we studied on Wednesday night, if you were here, is that the birth of Christ was not the beginning of Christ. The birth of Christ, what we call the incarnation, the the, the moment, the event in in which God was manifest in the flesh, we call it the incarnation. That was that Jesus Christ did not begin His existence as we did At our birth, he did not begin his existence at his birth. Now there is so there are so many things that events that surrounded his birth because his birth was the most important, bar none, the most important birth that's ever that's ever occurred. But his birth was different, and when you look at this verse number fifteen of First Timothy chapter one, you can see that. If you follow it with me, it says this: "This is a faithful saying." And worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What that tells us is that when Jesus was born, I know we commonly say that, well, ever since I came into the world, we'll use terminology like that, and we're just referring to to the moment of our birth. But when the Bible says that Jesus came, Christ Jesus came into the world, that tells us that He existed before He came into the world. 
And that's exactly what the Bible says. A number of times in the Gospels, Jesus said how he explained the reasons for which he came into the world, how he was with the Father, how he existed in the glories of heaven. He was, if I could put it like this, he was the center of all glory and honor and worship in all of the created universe and beyond the created, everything that is or could possibly be, he was the very center of it. He had all the glory and honor and majesty. And the Bible says in, in verse number 15 that he came into the world. He departed from all of that. He left it. He, he turned his back on it. And not only that, but the Bible says in, in John chapter 3, many of you are familiar with it, with the verse, the Bible says that God sent His Son. So not only did He come, He was sent. So you have the Father sending Him from heaven where He dwelt beforehand. He sent Him down. He departed from where He was. He was sent by the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ came down willingly. And the fact that he existed in heaven tells us something about him. Jesus, the man that we call Jesus, which is his human name, the man that we call Jesus was not simply a man. That's what the world would like us to believe, that essentially Jesus was nothing more than something like Buddha or Confucius or some other religious leader or philosopher that's, that has come into the world. Who had, who had doctrines and had teachings and made people better people. This is the philosophy of Jesus Christ, according to this world. This is Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the world. But this is not Jesus Christ according to the Bible. The Bible teaches and shows us, and we can see it in this verse, that He existed. He was eternal. Jesus, the man that we call Jesus, again, His human name, he became a man, whereas before he, he dwelt in heaven as the Almighty. That's what the Bible says in, in, the, in the Scriptures where it says, God was manifest in the flesh. Why does that matter? See, if Jesus, if this baby that we, that we were trying to portray here, if this baby was just a man, our worship of him would be idolatry. It would be a sin and an abomination in God's sight. But the fact that Jesus existed before there was the, the world was created, the fact that he did not have a creation demonstrates to us that he is very God. I say is because he is still there. Amen. He came down to earth, of course we know. He died a bloody cross on a bloody cross. He was raised from the dead and then he returned. He ascended back to the Father. He is eternal. And because He is eternal, we understand who He is. He is truly God manifest in the flesh. He came down willingly. I like this, this song. I remember one of our missionaries, the, uh, the Zimmer family, a long time ago when we first took them on for support, uh, they came to our church and, and the two of them sang this song. And it says this, Down from His glory, ever-living story, my God, listen to the words, my God and Savior came, and Jesus was His name. Born in a manger, to His own a stranger, a man of sorrows, tears, and agony. It says, what condescension, bringing us redemption, that in the dead of night, not one faint hope in sight, God, gracious, tender, 
laid aside his splendor, stooping to woo, to win, to save my soul. He says this, without reluctance, flesh and blood, his substance. He took the form of man, revealed the hidden plan. O glorious mystery, sacrifice of Calvary. And now I know thou art the great I am. So this moment that Jesus Christ was born was the moment in which the Almighty God, the I Am, the one and true and living God, took flesh and was not only sent, but came willingly. But He had a purpose. And that's what I want us to see this verse describes. Everything, if you look at verse 15 again, everything that Jesus did in His first coming had this purpose that is described in verse 15. It had this purpose in view. Everything. Everything we read from the very gifts of the wise men. Now we know the gifts were gold and frankincense and myrrh. Of course, gold gold was a gift of, of deity, of royalty. Frankincense was one of the ingredients in the, uh, in the, the temple that was used as incense to burn into God. And then myrrh was a spice used at burial. And even those things, as early as they are, speak of his identity, who he was. And not only that, but his mission. And that's what this verse is talking about. You see, this is a reference. Notice the past tense. Christ Jesus came into the world. He came by birth. Not dissension, but birth. And he came... This is a reference to His first coming. As I said, His incarnation. And His mission was clear. His mission was to save. You know what? Jesus Christ came into the world to save you. Jesus Christ came into the world to save me. He condescended to save sinners. Now, His second coming will not be as His first. In His second coming, he will, not be, he will not come by, by, by means of a virgin's womb. In the second coming, He will descend. In the second coming, it will not be to save, which is what John chapter 3, verse 16 says, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be what? Saved. Saved. That's why he came. But the second time around, he will not come to save. This is again the gospel according to the world. (laughs) The second time he comes, he will come to judge. He will come to judge. Even in his very name, I won't read it for time. In Matthew chapter 1, the Bible says the angel told Mary and told Joseph that this baby's name would be Jesus. This baby's name would be Jesus. The word Jesus is the equivalent of the Old Testament name Joshua. That's one reason why we named our son Joshua. That's why we gave him that name is because it's the same name. It's just a different language. And I want to read something in Exodus chapter 14 that's interesting. You'll find the name Joshua spelled uh, Hoshua. You'll find it Jehoshua. And you'll also find it Joshua in the Old Testament. But the word Joshua means, the J-O means Jehovah. 
the Lord. And the, the second half of the, of the name means to save. So it means Jehovah saves. That's what the name Joshua means. Now, what's interesting is in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 30, talking about Egypt and how God delivered Israel from Egypt, here's what it says. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day. You know what you have there? The Lord saved. That's the name Joshua there in the text. The Lord saved. That is the name Jesus. He came to save. He came to save from sin. Now, though that's clear in the Bible, this world, both the religious world and the non-religious world, has imagined that the coming of Christ is, uh, concerns every matter, every, everything under the sun it, that is more palatable than what we read in the Bible, that is more palatable to their sensitivities. Few in the world, let me say it like this, many, many in the world are, are interested in good deeds, being kind to one another. Many, many are interested in, in describing the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ as peace, right? Glad tidings, joy. Many of us, you know, many of us have heard that, that description sometimes in the songs. But this verse tells us it's incisive. It goes straight down to the very core of why Jesus came. And this is the part people are not very interested in. Few in the world are interested in the three words in verse 15. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So that was the whole point of His first coming. Was to save sinners. It wasn't about so much about peace or angels or, of course, about plays and, and uh, bringing world peace and love and kindness to one another and these warm, fuzzy feelings. No, no, no. Jesus had a, a much more important matter to deal with, and that was saving sinners. Amen. Right? But the problem is people s substitute many other kinds of salvation in place of the one mentioned here. Sometimes I've, I've been talking to people in the past and witnessing to people and talking about how Jesus saves sinners and, and they, they'll say things like, oh yeah, I remember Jesus saved me. I had a car accident and someone came along and helped me and called the ambulance for me. Or another person says, well, I had this dreaded disease and, and Jesus saved me from the, that dreaded disease. Or sometimes they talk about uh, how they, they, were, they were near death, they had a, 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 an accident or maybe they were in the hospital or, and they describe how Jesus saves them and I'm, I'm glad the Lord had mercy on those people. But that's not what's in this verse. Jesus is not talking about saving from temporal maladies and, and problems and illnesses. No, he's talking about the thing nobody wants to talk about and that is salvation from sin. It's that little three-letter word, Sin that nobody wants to talk about because that speaks directly to what people do and who people are. Jesus came to save from sin. The very mention of that word causes some people to recoil, to get angry, 
the insinuation that they are not as good as they think they are, that, they, that their relationship to God is not like it should be, that the delusions and deceptions that they've been telling themselves might be untrue. They don't, they don't want to think about that. But listen, that's why the baby was born. Amen. For that reason. Jesus came to save sinners. The next thing I want you to see, the next to the last, and I'll hurry, is this. The Lord Jesus Christ in His coming as a baby did not come to save the righteous, but to save sinners. He did not come to save the righteous, but to save sinners. I'm going to read a passage in Mark real quick. Chapter 2. says this, verse 13, And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. This is Matthew. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at, the, at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many and they followed him. Get this, a lot of wicked people follow Jesus. Extortioners, thieves. People that were, had, were, were women of ill repute. Men who went to those women. Those are the people, the Bible says they followed him. Amen. Men, men and women who had a history. Who had a bad name. They weren't church going people. They didn't have Christian parents. Not that any of that's bad, but I'm just reading the text. Verse 16, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with the publicans and sinners, they said unto the disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? They were critical. And when Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. Now notice these words. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. He came for those people. We, some people, some people, religious people, church people you might call them, have this idea. They have a fundamental misunderstanding. They think God loves good people. Or Jesus saves good people. And when they say that, what they're saying is this. We must do good things for God to love us. I am not one of those people. I do not need saving. All those ideas are false. The fact is that Jesus, he, the Bible says right there, we just read it, He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. God loves sinners. And Jesus came to save sinners. That is who He came for. He didn't come from people that have deluded themselves into thinking they're righteous. No, He came for sinners. You know what? No matter what we think of ourselves, no matter how righteous we might think we are, we are, every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us falls into that, into that category. It's just that those scribes and Pharisees, they fancied themselves something different, but they weren't. They just didn't see it. 
Jesus came for sinners. So none of us should ever think that somehow we don't fit in with the church group or we'll never fit in with that crowd. Some of you were, were born and raised in a family who loved God. And you know what? That's right. And that's the way I'm raising my family. I'm trying anyway. But they're still sinners, <laughs> right? And then others of you were raised in a, in, a, in a family where things that you're ashamed to mention went on. You know, God, the Lord Jesus came, and came into the world for you too. Amen. This idea that, that Christianity is supposed to be neat and tidy and everybody's, everybody's just, just, just so. No, no. He came into the world to save sinners. He came to call the, not the righteous, but sinners. But notice the key to repentance. Amen. He doesn't leave people like that. Amen. And anybody that says that is, has, is sorely mistaken. Jesus was with the sinners. He certainly wasn't sinning with the sinners, but he also wasn't shunning the sinners. And as the sinners came, even, even Mary Magdalene herself, who came to Jesus, Levi, a tax collector, no doubt a corrupt man. But you know what? He became a disciple because he repented that Jesus changed him. You know what? It doesn't matter what we've done, who we are, what we've sinned. You and I that sinned in his sight, you and I were the ones that were on his mind when he was born and laid in a manger. Now, the last thing I want to say is in, back in our text, 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 1. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Everything I've just described to you is just basically the gospel in one verse. The incarnation of Jesus Christ in one verse. But the first part is what I want to show you. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. All acceptation. The Lord has made this statement in verse 15 for every individual person to receive. There's no distinction made about, about religion, nationality. No distinction made about race or past, no distinction made of any of these human distinctions we put on men, this statement, this Jesus that was born, was born for every single person. Amen. All are sinners. Christ died for all. And so all can be saved. It is a faithful saying. It's true. You know what? It's worthy of your trust. Yes. So let me ask you something. Before, all right, you can go ahead and come. I just want to ask you this. Has Jesus saved you from sin? Has Jesus saved you from sin? That's why he came. Period. Have you received that salvation that he came to provide? 